Grace, mercy, and peace be to you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Contentment is a sin. Now, wait a minute. You just heard me say it was a good thing to the kids. Contentment is a sin against our consumeristic culture, to be a little more specific. Contentment is a sin against which the marketing teams of every product under the sun work hard to fight against. And they have a pretty easy target. Our sinful nature always wants more. It is always hungry and never satisfied. All those in charge of marketing a product need to do is show you the latest and the greatest. They dangle before you a supposed need of Something that's bigger, that's better, that's faster, that has more horsepower. You need more, 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 they say. And the sinful flesh agrees. Don't be satisfied with what you have, where you are, or who you are. No, you need more. You can never have enough. And the sinful flesh is hooked. We live in a disposable culture. Products are built to be tossed out instead of repaired. Some of you well remember a TV repairman, but for most of you, that's a foreign concept altogether. When things stop working, well, it's no problem. Just get the next bigger, better, faster thing that's on the market. And in two to four years, dump it, do it all again. Never mind the impact of constantly tossing our things into the, land, the, the landfill or mining the earth to get all the material to produce the stuff or the poor labor conditions that exist so that we can have all the new stuff. I mean, that's just the culture that we live in. And the sinful nature has absolutely no problem with it. We live in a culture that promotes putting the individual at the center of their own universe with themselves as king. Study hard in school so that you get good grades, so that you can get into a good college, so that you can get a good job, and so that you can afford the big house in the suburbs, marry the trophy spouse, have the 2.5 kids, the vacation home on the lake, and to live like a king in the domain that you worked so hard for. You are king of the castle. That is, until you see your neighbor park his new car in the driveway, and then, well, the sinful nature wants to be number one and is not satisfied until you are king or queen. Is that overly cynical? Yeah, maybe. But brothers and sisters in Christ, I tell you the truth. There is a huge difference between working hard and slaving away for stuff or status or self and working hard for the sake of the care of your family, sharing what you have, uh, what you have or serving others with it. When we turn to the commandments, God calls us to see sin for what it is. God determines what is sin and what is not. The commandments are there to help us to see where we sin against God and where we sin against our neighbors. When we come to the ninth and the 10th commandments, 
God is bringing to light the sin of covetousness. Covetousness is is longing for and trying to get what you don't have in any sort of scheming or dishonest way. Covetousness is not being satisfied with what the Lord is. Covetousness is a condition of the sinful heart that says, well, I want, and I'm not happy until I have, and when I have, I'm not thankful for it because it doesn't fill the void because it's not what I really need. But I believed in my heart that I just had to have it, and now that I have it, I don't really want it anyway. I want something else. Something bigger, something better, something faster. It's a downward descent further into sin and depravity. From the commandments, we learn that covetousness is the antithesis of contentment. To covet is the polar opposite of being content. To covet is to be human. To be content, well, that has to come from the divine. Let's consider the Apostle Paul for a moment. I said it last week, and I need to say it again this week. As Paul is writing these words that we have been reading in this uh, letter uh, to the churches in Philippi, He is doing so from prison. Paul is literally shackled in chains and is in jail. And he writes, Rejoice! Rejoice! Said no one ever from prison. (laughs) Except Paul did. And he said it twice, actually, because it would seem so completely unbelievable to anyone reading those words, knowing the situation of the person writing them. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again. Rejoice. Well, how can Paul say that? Doesn't he realize where he is? Shouldn't he be longing for his freedom? Writing maybe for someone to advocate for him? Or pleading for someone at least to bake him a cake with a file hidden in it at least, right? And he doesn't he deserve better? He is an apostle of Jesus. Say what you will of Paul, but we will say this, that Paul is a content steward. A content steward. How is that possible? Well, it's because Paul has the eyes of faith to see that everything that he has is a gift from God, even his chains and his imprisonment. And that's shocking. In the first chapter of his letter, he wrote that his imprisonment has served to encourage others. He writes, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. It's amazing. See, Paul sees his situation through the eyes of faith, and he counts this as a gift to be used for the strengthening and the encouragement of the saints. What's the difference? How does he write this? Well, the difference is that Paul knows Jesus. 
He knows the length that Jesus went to so that he could redeem his creation from, from sin and death. He knew that Jesus humbled himself, that he was born of a virgin, that he was exiled from his home, that he was persecuted and misunderstood by those who he came to save. Paul knew that Jesus was obedient to the point of death on the cross and that Jesus considered that a pure joy. He knew that Jesus was buried in a tomb and that he rose again from the dead so that he could give to all the riches of heaven. Paul knows that in Christ he was declared righteous before God, not by his works, but by God's grace. And so Paul trusted that Jesus covered Paul's sinful, covetous heart with a pure and righteous heart of Christ in baptism. So when Paul writes from prison, he writes as a baptized child of God, a new creation given the eyes of faith to see his current situation as a gift from God. Because Paul is baptized into Christ, Paul sees his situation as a participation in the life and in the sufferings of Christ. Jesus suffered, well, so too will Paul. Jesus died and was buried, so too will Paul. A servant is not above his master. Because Paul is baptized into Christ, he sees that his situation, his struggles, dire as they were, were only temporary in the grand scheme of life eternal. Paul figures if he suffers, he suffers as a Christian. And he suffers in the certain hope that his suffering will ultimately come to an end. Why? Because Jesus was raised from the dead. And so too will Paul. So if Paul suffers, he gives thanks for participating in Christ's sufferings. He rejoices in that fact. If Paul has plenty, he gives, he receives it and gives as a gift to rejoice in and to share with others for the encouragement and the service of others. Whatever the situation, if he's in prison or if he's free, if he is in need or has plenty, Paul has learned to be content in Christ because he believes that he is the Lord's. Paul is content, but he is not complacent. While he accepts his joys and his chains as gifts from the Lord, he is not complacent about his faith or his love for others. I mean, that is why he is writing this letter from prison. He isn't complacent in exhorting and thanking the Philippian church for their generous giving and their support of the Jerusalem churches. Paul isn't complacent in giving thanks to God for the Philippian church's participations in his own sufferings. And if there's anything that Paul is not content with, it is in leaving the church without a word of encouragement. Paul has learned to be a content steward. And we are called to be as well. Paul writes, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about those things. 
what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. We are encouraged to imitate Paul as Paul follows and imitates Christ. You dear brothers and sisters in Christ, you have also been baptized into the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Your sinful, naturally covetous hearts have been made new as you have been washed in that blessed baptismal flood. For you have been covered also with the robe of Christ's righteousness. You hear God's commandments, and in your spirit you delight in them. Though the sinful flesh lingers and fights against the Holy Spirit in you, you seek to put that sinful flesh to death, drowning it again as you remember that you are baptized. When you find that you are coveting, you confess. And when you confess, you are absolved. Your sins against the Lord and against your neighbor are forgiven you in Christ Jesus. So rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Though you may now struggle for a time, remember, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, that you are united to Jesus. And the struggles and the difficulties that you face are temporary, as were Paul's chains. You've been baptized into the death of Jesus. You will be raised just like Jesus. If you may not be suffering or struggling right now, but you hear of your brother or sister in Christ who is, do not be complacent, but encourage them. Pray for them. Stand or sit with them. Cry with them. Provide for their bodily needs as you are able. Give of yourself for the sake of others. And finally, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, <laughs> encourage you to sin boldly against the covetous culture in which we live by learning contentment in Christ. See with the eyes of faith that all that you have is a gift from the Lord, not to be used simply for status or self, but for sharing, for serving. You have the eyes of faith to see things from God's perspective. Learn to be content with what the Lord has given you, not only for your care, but for the care of others. In these ways, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, we learn and grow and become content stewards. Amen. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.